Howdy, folks. Matthew with the Gio Nation podcast. I am currently staring at gloomy skies. Ningbo, China has uh, had a fairly rough go of it recently with regards to air pollution. And uh, I'm witnessing it right now. It's a little chilly, a little humid, a little gloomy. And uh, I am on my way walking back to my apartment. This is the third start of this podcast, this, this episode of the Jaya Nation podcast. I, I false started it twice already. And uh, I just had, it just basically petered out. It wasn't even worth keeping it. It uh, started off with, hi, this is Matt of the Giant Nation podcast, all excited and then it kind of whirled around and danced a little bit and then went from dancing to kicking the can. And pretty soon I fell into... Uh, disrepair (laughs) and I just hit the stop button and said screw it Um, then it got later and later and uh, I picked it up again and tried it again and again it sputtered out and uh, it's around getting close to dinner time so I uh, threw the recorder and the microphone in my backpack and said, Hal, if, if I'm walking and something gets somewhat inspired, maybe I can record something while I walk. So right now I'm giving that a go. It'll be interesting to see if I splice pieces together, get rid of dead spots, or if walking prompts uh, my cognitive functions a little bit and I end up speaking and uh, coming up with some interesting talk. <sighs> I'm walking into Ginjo Park right now, which is beautiful. It's even beautiful right now. It's green and lush. It's just contrasted with the grayness uh, of China. You know, China has good days and bad days. Recently, the uh, I don't know if it's seasonal, but it seems seasonal. I've been in China six years, and it seems like the smog comes during a, a specific time of year. And it's really unfortunate that it comes now, because I'm running out of time. <laughs> I'm running out of time. I have uh, I have chosen to pause my cycling tour and instead focus on getting into condition where I can have the most successful summit of the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. It's no small uh, job. It's a big project. And I want to be in, you know, some of the best shape of my life to accomplish this goal. I had already climbed... Mushitaga, which was 7,500 meters, or uh, for you non-metric guys, 24,500 feet, and uh, 
I did pretty well. Uh, I was sick when I started, but uh, you know, I had some, some some sort of a stomach flu just before we went to base camp. So, and you can watch that on the Jayo Travelogs on YouTube, my whole uh, Mushitaga adventure. But uh, I felt like if I was in better shape, it would have been uh, a much easier climb, and I would have gotten more out of it. And. Uh, Everest will be a step above that, obviously. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm in the best possible state in, a, in order to do this. Which is why I thought it would be nice to cycle there. Because that would give me the, uh, you know, the cardio aspect of things. I work out my legs. I would be, you know, already working every day towards having a, a fit physique for doing this type of thing. But my knee kind of canceled that, paused that. Now, um, it also kind of made me realize that riding a trike and climbing a mountain are two different movements. And I tried to make a good out of a bad and say, well, um, maybe by not being able to cycle, I can actually uh, do more climb-specific exercises which is uh, nice, you know. I can work the muscles that will be needed specifically for climbing a mountain, not necessarily working all these muscles to ride a bike and then find out, you know, when I get on the mountain that, geez, I, I've been working out the wrong muscles this whole time. So uh, I just got back from uh, Michigan uh, seeing my family, I spent the weekend kind of reacclimating myself and bringing myself in, in, allowing myself to go through the jet lag, the stages of jet lag. Uh, for those that have never traveled halfway around the world, literally halfway around the world, jet lag can be a pain. Um, oftentimes, uh, the trip from China to, uh, to the USA is easier. I don't know why. And then the time from, uh, or no, from China to the USA is harder. And then from USA to China, it seems a little bit easier to pick up uh, the pace. And I feel that way too. Uh, it was really hard to get rid of my jet lag when I was in the States. And uh, really, it only took me a weekend and now I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, you know... Starting the podcast three times today is kind of uh, leading into this quandary of this podcast, which is taking that first step, uh, starting, <laughs> starting once again, you know, if, if you uh, have ever done something uh, like a big project or you know, like, like for example, when, when I started the Jayo World Tour, once you start, once that trike leaves, you know, Ningbo, once they, you pedal, pedal two pedals, you know, once, once you really get moving, uh, the rest kind of takes care of itself. You're, you're, you're an organism, you know, you're, you're a project moving forward. And that, that first step is, really the most difficult of all 
and golly, I'm I'm having some uh, st- st- some tough times getting uh, getting motivated to get started yet again on this next mission, which is to get fit for Everest. You know, I am trying to think what is necessary for me to uh, build my muscles and get in shape. I have this this amount of time, which is about 75 days, uh, in order to uh, get myself into uh, the the shape I need in order to climb the mountain, and I got to use this time as positively uh, as efficiently as possible. Preparing for Everest, in, in if you read some of the training regimens, can be a 10 or 12 month affair, depending on how you do it, you know? So I was dealt a blow with with the knee problem, but my body is still in good shape. Uh, it's not, you know, like I'm obese or gonna have some trouble, like I gotta get back on the horse. I'm, I'm on the horse. I just need to really implement a heavy duty training regimen that takes into consideration my knee issue and accelerates me towards uh, the end of March, which is when I need to be ready to fly to uh, Kathmandu. (laughs) And this weather couldn't be less helpful. I wish it was uh, healthier to be outside. It's, it's strange. Uh, in China, we all have these uh, apps on our phone, which we look at in the morning to make sure that uh, the pollution is down to the extent to where we can go outside. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> what a world we live in. And if the parts per million in the air or whatever is too, um, is too high, you have to either wear a mask or, you know, stay away from going outdoors. How, how weird is that? That's like out of a science fiction movie. <laughs> Spaceballs. Uh, the, the villain in Spaceballs, his, his planet was so polluted that they were drinking fresh air out of, like, Coke cans, basically. That was the biggest, the big fad. And I just saw in Beijing there was a guy that had a, was selling cans of uh, Canadian fresh air. <laughs> Really, really real. It's not sarcasm. Anyways, uh, I would really love to start getting outside uh, and and moving. Um, the uh, doctor said that I shouldn't necessarily be uh, running 10Ks, but I should be able to um, go outdoors and do some trail running, throw a pack on. And if, if I'm right out of the gate, can't necessarily breathe the air outside, it puts me at a little bit of a disadvantage. I did tell Annie that I am restricting elevator use. So there's no elevators, only stairs. I'm uh, trying to work my uh, muscles in my knee uh, according to what the therapist said. The therapist said something really interesting, and maybe this can be a uh, learning experience for all you guys. I, uh, I went to the therapist, and the first thing that she noticed after an examination of my legs and my knee was that my left kneecap 
was pointing slightly off to the left, as opposed to my right kneecap, which was proper and pointing straight forward. Now you can see this very easily by placing two fingers over the flat surface at the front of the patella, the kneecap. Now, will, are those two fingers flat? And if you run your uh, run a line between those two fingers, you know, uh, like a line through those two fingers, you should be able to uh, have them run flat against the knee uh, and and flat across the knees. Uh, the one on the left side was actually off. And you could see that my fingers, although they were flat laying against my left patella, they were actually cocked a little bit to the left. And uh, she said uh, she wasn't 100% sure how that was happening. But over time, somehow, my knee and my, my muscles and things started to move that patella slightly over. Now, I could have probably lived into my late 60s without a problem with that, but putting all that pressure from climbing and cycling aggravated it and then indicated via a meniscus tear and the, and the swelling that I had a problem. It was kind of a blessing in disguise because had I let this go on and on, and not worked towards correcting it like my therapist has given me, I might actually have a big problem with my knee later on in life. The therapist and the doctors both agreed that if I make moves to try to fix the problem and focus on my knee now, I will probably have a pretty darn good knee for the rest of my life. Um, but. I really wanted to know why my knee kind of started drifting in the first place. And it was kind of funny. I, I have a click in my heel on my left foot. I've had it ever since I was like 13, younger maybe. I don't know. I don't remember when it started. Every time I walk, I hear a little click. Now, friction, you know. We, we all don't like to hear friction in our joints. And so... When I told my therapist this, it made me realize that ever since I was 13, I had been compensating for this click in my heel by basically pigeon-toeing my left foot out. And by pigeon-toeing my left foot out, it brought my legs out of alignment and pulled my kneecap over. And I think that it's that correction that I've always kind of done to my feet every time I heard that click that basically ruined the position of my knee. Anyways, long story short, uh, the therapist gave me a bunch of exercises I can do. I've got uh, the uh, steroid injection to keep the swelling down while I uh, work through this therapy, therapeutic process. And the, diag the diagnosis from them is that uh, I should be pretty good as long as I stick to the regimens. Uh, obviously, there's no guarantee that I won't have some problem later on due to some other external force, but uh, I have all the pieces, and all the pieces are pretty healthy, so that's good. So I have uh, a therapeutic regiment as well as a, a physical fitness regiment that I'm building 
over the next 75 days that will bring me into a uh, better circumstance for climbing Mount Everest at the end of March, beginning of April. The company that I'm climbing Everest with is called Adventures Global. Uh, they climb the Seven Summits. Uh, they do a lot of different expeditions around the world. And the liaison, I think he's the leader of Adventures Global, is a South African by the name of Ronnie. And Ronnie gave me a call last night from uh, the, the base camp at Akangawa, which is the second of the seven summits in South America. And he was up uh, with, his, with a team taking everybody up and uh, answering some questions because I wanted to know how this year was going, if I needed to do anything, how big our team was, and just kind of bring, uh, bring, bring everybody up to par on you know, me joining the tour this year because I had put it off uh, last year because of my accident. And uh, then we had that avalanche, which, or the uh, avalanche due to the uh, earthquake. So kind of a veiled, uh, thank, thank God moment that uh, I missed that um, and missed the, the entire, you know, uh, havoc reached on Kathmandu and uh, Everest during that period of time. Now, he says that... Uh, the camps rebuilt, everything is good to go. I have a team of about 12 going up there. I'm the only American this year, which is cool. Uh, Ronnie's wife is American, so I'm not sure how far she will go, but she will be joining for uh, a portion of the tour. And uh, so that's that's interesting. It's, it's nice uh, to kind of see that materializing finally after so much time uh, you know, calculating, you know, riding there and then finding out that you can't, have the accident, then time and time and time again, just kind of having this, maybe I can't do it, maybe I can, you know, my knee was, you know, getting, getting the good knee diagnosis. Right now, uh, I feel like everything is good to go, you know, all boxes are checked, all lights are green. And uh, Mount Everest now is, uh, is a real, you know, reality. Um, and that's weird. That's weird. It's weird because uh, I would have never thought that I would climb Mount Everest. I would never have thought that I would be riding around the world. I'd never have thought I would be in China. But Everest is an interesting thing because it's a... It's very tangible. I mean, you can say, I never thought I'd be cycling around the world. But cycling around the world is, is an entire, jeez, uh, what am I trying to say here? Cycling around the world is, isn't as pointed as a climb up Everest. A climb up Everest is when you tell somebody I'm cycling around the world, they could think of it as a number of different things, you know. He's doing a fast ride. He's doing a fully loaded ride. You know, he's he could be doing it all sorts of different. His path could vary in many different ways. Uh, could be a year. Could be, you know, ten years. But I'm climbing Mount Everest. That's a very specific 
uh, thing to say, and it it comes with a specific story. You know, you're going to be going through a specific series of movements in order to get to the top of Everest, and they're quite amazing. No matter what anybody says, and you know, everybody has their way in on this topic. You know, uh, I've heard a number of people. I was in a bar once, and some guy was like, he didn't know I was planning to climb Everest at the time. It's not like I blab about it, but I am proud of it. And I have worked hard in order to make this a possibility. But he was like, yeah, climbing Mount Everest is is stupid. You know, those people, they just pay a lot of money and they just, they basically, it's so easy. You know, they, it's just like basically like a, like a hotel now at the top. And, you know, he just kind of, just dogging the act of climbing Mount Everest. And now, granted, it's probably a lot easier with the technology and the, uh, sorry, it's windy, with the technology and the experience of the Sherpas, international teams and things. It's, it's not as hard as it used to be, you know. The original climbers of Mount Everest, you know, went up with, Leather, leather, leather-clad boots. <laughs> you know, and we're going up with, you know, very sophisticated uh, materials in in our clothing to keep us warm. And you know, uh, you know, it's it's like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, I mean, and and I don't like to compare myself to anybody because I don't believe that I'm necessarily better or worse than anybody. We all do what we think we can do as best as we can. But climbing Mount Everest, no matter where, who you are, unless you're some complete elite climber, and even that elite climber will tell you that Everest is a very, uh, is, is a heavy milestone to accomplish, you know? But it's, it's, not, it's not easy. And if you want to climb Everest, you have to work hard and you have to plan hard and you have to be committed, you know, and you have to want to do it. And you have to sacrifice. <laughs> and depending on, you know, how much money you do have, you have to sacrifice a lot. Uh, I don't know, you know, if you guys know, but to climb Mount Everest, I have had to scratch together around 50,000 US dollars. And I'm not a rich guy, you know. I have invested everything I have in my trip and my journey. And I have been lucky the last few years in, in friendships and business. So, you know, I, I have been able to, to climb Everest. I've been able to say, make it a reality. A lot of people maybe couldn't, you know, but... I focused on what I wanted and made it happen, you know. And back to that guy is just kind of, you have to do things for yourself, I think is the message here. Uh, climbing Mount Everest is amazing. And when I tell my sister about it, she, she beams with appreciation. And I beam with appreciation of myself. And I think that's the most important 
You, you climb Mount Everest not because of, you know, the, the acclaim. You climb Mount Everest because it's a challenge to yourself, you know. And the challenge can be varied based on how much experience you have. Some people might climb Mount Everest and it might be easy. <laughs> Although, I'll tell you what, the people that climb Mount Everest and find it easy are few and far between. You know, even, even with the uh, commercial success of climbing Mount Everest, you're still talking of only a couple of hundred people that summit every year, if that. And the collective uh, tally of people that have climbed Everest being so infinitesimal that anybody that climbs Mount Everest is in a small, small group of people who have all been disciplined and desired it and invested in it to make it happen, you know? So I'm trying now to set up Mount Everest so that uh, when I do it, I have the best possible physical circumstances to do it. And I'm having a hard time. <laughs> long, long story short on that. I, you know, like I said, when, when I left for the Jayo World Tour, things were kind of laid out. As long as you're riding on that trike, you're going to be fit. As long as you're moving, that movement will gain momentum and that momentum will propel you forward uh, you get to a hotel you do 100 sit-ups you do 100 push-ups you leave you ride for eight hours that's your cardio then you finish then you do 100 sit-ups 100 push-ups maybe you stop at a park maybe you work out every day a little bit more you know but then i hurt my knee and and suddenly i'm taken back again and i have to restart I have to retool. I have to refigure out exactly how I'm going to do this. And I have to pick myself up again, dust myself off again, and fill myself up with <laughs> uh, more yo, <laughs> jayo, you know. Jaws add and yo is fuel. The reason I like it is because the symbolism behind it, you know, jayo, add fuel. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to find that fuel. Sometimes it's easy. Uh, but I would have to say that most of the time it's pretty hard, which is why it's a great mantra because uh, the great things in life aren't easy, you know. And Jayo symbolizes, you know, adding fuel to get the job done. But sometimes cultivating that fuel is, is hard because sometimes it's, it's even hard to find the fuel, let alone add it. And I'm at that point right now where I'm having a little bit of a tough time uh, digging down within myself and finding that fuel to add you know you ever find out where you where you feel like you're on the precipice of a, of a slight depression we all go through it I think most people 
have their ups and downs and uh, can feel sadness and depression sometimes. Uh, and sometimes you know it's coming, right? You can, you can feel it. You just wake up in the morning and you don't necessarily have that pap or you sit at your desk or whatever you do during the day and you're slightly aimless and you feel to yourself like, uh-oh, I feel, I feel some lackluster coming on. Ordinarily, I just hunker down and sweat through some of these moments, try to stay positive, but sometimes I find the best thing to do is just, just grunt through it, you know. This circumstance is a little bit special, though, because I can't quite grunt through a couple of weeks of pity party on myself. Uh, I, I can't. <laughs> I, 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 not that I don't want to. I obviously don't want to, too, but I literally can't afford to sacrifice a couple more weeks feeling sad for myself or whatever. And so... Uh, Slightly, that's why I wanted to do this podcast, because this podcast is sort of a tool for me to use to keep my spirits up and a way to send my feelings out to the ether and have some accountability for how I feel. You know, uh, I I did this. uh, I started doing something, uh, geez, when I was first moved to Las Vegas. I had a small uh, apartment in Las Vegas, and it was one of the first times that I had really moved away. I had my own apartment, and I was alone, and I had some moments where I was pretty depressed. I actually fell into a little depression on my first uh, few months in Las Vegas. Just, uh, I tend to uh, leap before I look. And uh, I didn't have anything set up in Las Vegas. Uh, no friends. I didn't even have any business. I didn't even have an apartment. I just f- loaded everything in a truck and drove out to Las Vegas, which is similar to the way I did it moving into uh, China. I find if you just jump, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find your feet on the way, on the way down. You just, sometimes it just takes some time. But... What I did in in Las Vegas is I started sending, basically writing diary entries as an email. And I wrote these diary entries about what I was feeling and what I was doing and what my plans were. And I sent that private journal entry. It was very private. It talked about everything. My relationships, my deep feelings, my doubts. Um, And I sent it to all of my mentors who guide me in business and life. And, and, geez, if you don't have mentors, uh, I think you should find some because it's very helpful. Uh, But I sent it to my mentors. I sent it to my family. I sent it to some people that I knew would positively judge me. And... That was that's the important part. You can't send it to anybody that's going to drag you down, but you got to send it to people that you feel nervous sending it to. You know, you got to get the message out to people that care about you, but also won't let you skate. 
and won't and and will and by doing that and, and now these people might not necessarily even read the email but they could and just by sheer, sheer the sheer understanding that the people I care about and the people that I respect the most could read these messages where I'm talking about what I should do and what I'm not doing basically by sending it to the people that that you care about their opinion the most it built accountability where there was none before if I never told anybody that I was being a slacker and that I planned to go out and have meetings but I didn't suddenly I created a situation where I had to be accountable because they knew that I should have had those meetings. And even by, you know, they didn't necessarily have to act. They didn't have to, Matthew, you should go to those meetings. Just knowing that the people I respected the most knew those things, it made me feel a little bit more accountable for my actions. And uh, this podcast, I'm hoping, will have a similar response, a similar result. Uh, Because I need to make sure that I am accountable for this time that I have and I'm using it in the best way possible otherwise uh, months are going to go by and I'm going to end up on Everest ill prepared and I'm going to be kicking myself Uh, procrastination is a big pain in the ass for me especially I'd say it's one of my biggest faults Uh, maybe it's good that it is 2016 and we're breaking into this new year and I'm reflecting on uh, on these negatives in my life because uh, I need to make sure that every year you do better so I'm I'm going to send this out to the ether my Jayo listeners however many or few there may be uh, I need to get in gear and I need to put this uh, lackadaisical mat behind me and replace it with the doer I know I am and uh, I I had been looking at a couple of gyms today trying to figure out which one would be best and even on this walk today as I as I approach my apartment I feel like uh, I've answered my own question and uh, I just need to choose a gym and go and then consistently go every day and improve, improve, improve and work and work and work. And that's how you make gains. No one has ever gained by doing nothing, (laughs) but a lot of people have gained by doing very little and a lot more have gained more by doing more. And, uh, it all, it all depends on how much energy you put in, how much results you get out. Anyways, I, uh, I'm approaching my apartment and dinner will be ready soon. And I will be heading out again for a couple of appointments. But uh, I'm back to Ningbo. And I'm trying to get the wheels turning so that I can get ready to climb the tallest mountain in the world at the end or middle of uh, April. Thanks for walking with me. I'll uh, talk to you later. Ciao, y'all.